Well, the last couple weeks, we've been going through a series uh, called Behind the Curtain, just taking a look at who we are as a church and who we're becoming. Um, We had an opportunity today for a new friend, Mark, uh, to come and join us and to speak. He is founder, CEO of Oasis International. And as I was looking through our core values, uh, the three that I haven't touched on are these, uh, that loved people love people. Right, That our response by being loved by God is to love other people. That that's not an option. right? Uh, We're loved. God loved us first and our response is to love other people. And in that, there's no requirements. There's no exceptions. There's no lists of who we get to decide that we love or not love. Right? So a core value of ours is that we will be people who are deeply loved by God and then we will love other people. The other core value is that will be known by what we're for, not against. The church is often known what we're against, but we're going to know what we're for. That, that we will love justice and we will love mercy and we will seek kindness and we will do what God has called us to do. There are things we are against. We are against hate and bigotry and racism. And so we are against those things. But the things that we're often known against aren't necessarily those. And so we're going to be known as a church for what we're for and not just against. And then the last one is that God invites us to be a part of renewal in our community, that God created. Things didn't go well with people. God did not just back away. He's still involved. And then he calls his people uh, to make a difference in our community, that where there's brokenness, we bring healing. God brings healing through us, that God calls us the light of the world. Where there is darkness, the light goes into those dark areas. And so we're about renewal and reconciliation. And so when, when Mark and I began talking, I thought, man, as he is going to talk today, what he is talking about fits into those things, that, that we are going to be people who are loved and we will love, that we are going to be known by what we are for, and then we get to play a part in what God is doing in our community. We don't just come in and sit. Uh, there's an invitation to be a part of what God is doing. And so I'm really excited for Mark uh, to be here and to share with us today. Would you welcome Mark Akers? I... Uh... I'm so blessed. Thank you, Pastor Kyle, for uh, just inviting me to come today. I am uh, so blessed. My wife, Joni, is here. We're the founders and directors of Oasis International. We help refugees from all over the world. Uh, Almost all the refugees that come through International Institute in St. Louis, they come through us, too. We give them a whole house full of furniture all their clothes, all their, uh, we have English classes, we have uh, citizenship classes, driver's training. Uh, Our driver's training instructor is 87. (laughs) So we could use some more help in the the driver's training. Uh, It's really important that driver's training, you know, new refugees, they need, if they can get a driver's license, they can get a better job. Amen? And then we do baby showers for every uh, pregnant mom. We love that. We want to connect every church to a a refugee family to help that uh, young lady uh, before, during, and after that pregnancy uh, in a foreign country, can't speak the language. They need some ladies to come alongside them. Amen? And we have a good neighbor uh, ministry where we connect uh, 
in, uh, American Christian families with a refugee family uh, to help them uh, just navigate a new life and uh, to be able to uh, be a witness for Jesus with, with our refugee friends. Many of them are Muslim. Uh, most of my uh, friends are named Muhammad, Ahmed, Ali, Katan. Uh, they're, they're my forever friends. We love them. And I love what you have on your sign. I, I took a picture of it and put it on my Facebook already. A place where you belong even before you believe. I love that. We need to have a place where we belong. And so uh, that's why we're here. Uh, so I want to show you a video, a couple of minutes uh, about what's going on in the world right now with refugee situation. Can we show that? Wow. Those are staggering numbers. 65 0.6 million forcibly displaced. 22.5 million refugees, the most ever recorded. That's what they said in 2016. One person forcibly displaced every three seconds. 40.3 million displaced inside their own countries. That was 2016. I had this sheet on our, on our table back there. You can pick one up. The numbers are staggering, really. You know, uh, 2016, there were 65.6 million forcibly displaced. Now there's 68.5 million. Uh, there's 40 million internally displaced. 25.4 million are refugees in another country, 3.1 million are asylum seekers, there's 10 million people in the world right now that are stateless, they have no country, 10 million people. So I want to read this scripture from uh, Jeremiah, and it just touched me when I read it. I have loved you with an everlasting love. And I have drawn you with loving kindness. Jeremiah 31, verse 3. I have loved you with an everlasting love. How does that make you feel when you hear that? I have loved you with an everlasting love. And I have drawn you. I have drawn you with loving kindness. I need that. Do you? You need that? I need that. Every person, every person coming, all these refugees, all these asylum seekers, all these people, they need that kind of love. And how are they going to get it? Well, I hope it's through me and you. Amen? Amen. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I pray that you would open our eyes and hearts to the people around us. Help us know your everlasting love and draw us with your unfailing kindness. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's a lot of numbers there. There's, a, you know, 68 million, wow. That's a lot of people. You know, they even showed the, the map of England. Uh, and, you know, it's like that whole country. That's, those are the people that are displaced. Wow. But there's, it's really important that we bring that down to people. The, all those people are souls. All those people have names. All those people have lives. All those people have suffering issues like we do. Uh, and, and so uh, today, I, I generally like to bring uh, a friend of ours, a refugee friend. Uh, we had, I have an Iraqi friend. His name is Hussam and a, and a young lady from Egypt. Her name is uh, Shema. Uh, they wanted to come today. Uh, they're both Muslim. Uh, they're our very good friends. And uh, they, they both had to work. Thank God they have a job, right? Um, but we're going to tell their story. I asked them to write their story down. And, and so my wife, Joni, is going to come up and she's going to read Shema's story. And actually, Hussam, could, when I talked to him about it, he just cried. They're both in their 20s. He cried and he said, I can't say it. I can't say it. And so he told it to Shema, and Shema wrote it down, and I'm going to read his story, and Joni's going to read Shema's story right now. Okay. Thank you, Trinity Church, for having us today. We really, really appreciate it, because we do feel like Jesus is looking to us to help these people, not the government, but us. Anyway, Shema says, I'm an Egyptian Muslim woman. I came to the States in 2016. I was born in Egypt and lived there my whole life. I graduated and earned two degrees in accounting, but that was not enough to get a job. I live with my family just like everyone else in my country. We only move out when we get married. Parents support their children until they get a job, if they ever get one, since unemployment rates are rocket high in Egypt. In 2012, I met a man from New Jersey. He was so nice. A few weeks later, we were married, and we lived happily together for about two years in which he would travel to the States to work and then come back to Egypt. In 2014, my husband came back from the USA, but this time he was a different man. He was abusive mentally and physically. I was so shocked about how much he had changed. He would eat outside. He would lock me up in the house without food for a day or two. I used to wake up to him punching me in the head several times or pouring ice-cold water on me in the middle of winter. One day, after beating me up, he carried me and threw me outside my own house 
in my underwear. I'm a modest woman. I didn't want people to see me like that. I stayed for many hours in a corner on the stairs, scared, ashamed, cold, until he let me in. At this time, my father divorced my mother for a woman my age. My mother was suffering enough, and I couldn't tell her about what was going on between me and my husband. Then it was time for him to go back to the United States. I was silent all the time. I never would talk to him for fear of his abuse. When he noticed that my body was swollen for no reason, he started punching me in the stomach and dragged me on the floor. He punched me in the head, kicked me in the back while I was trying to protect my stomach. I was silent the whole time. God is my witness. I hadn't said a word the entire time. And then he started asking me if I was pregnant. I was. But I lost my baby, and I had an orbital fracture in my eye. I was covered with black and blue bruises. I lied to my mother and told her that I fell down. Then he left. My father disappeared, and my mother had a very limited income. I started finishing my paperwork that my husband had promised he would do, that he would finish three years ago, so that I could be with him in the United States, but he never even submitted it. Simultaneously, I searched for my father and finally found him and told him that if he doesn't support my mother financially, I would take him to court. I made an agreement with him to give her some money on a monthly basis. And that's when I felt that my country is no longer the place for me. In March, March 24th of 2016, I arrived at JFK with $800 in my wallet and a million thoughts in my head. Fears, hopes, and the simplest dreams ever. I need to feel safe and to be able to support myself. Now, after living here for three years, just by myself, always, having two or more jobs and going to school <clears throat> full time. Still, there are obstacles that I stumble on. The first time was when I got really sick to the point where my heart would get very weak and slow down significantly, and I lost my job. I stayed home for a few weeks, and then I ran out of money, food, and hope. I couldn't even go home because I couldn't afford the ticket nor the pity of whoever might see me failing and losing everything. That's when my friend convinced me that I should ask for help. It was my first time ever to ask for help. I was so embarrassed. I cried a lot and prayed to God to make me vanish. And then I met Mark and his lovely wife, who comforted me and made me feel like I'm home. They helped me financially without scratching my dignity, and they were like a family to me, and so was every single member of the church. A couple of years later, I had a car accident, and I spent all my savings on fixing it, and again struggled with some, some financial issues, and this time, I didn't hesitate asking Father Mark and my new family of the church to help, and they did. Now, I hope that everyone sees that we immigrants and refugees didn't leave our country to be rich or famous. We came here to feel safe, 
and to have normal lives that we couldn't afford in our own countries. And the last thing we need is people looking at us as aliens or invaders. And all we ever wish for is for people to see that we are people too. Wow. Wow. That's Seamus. She's uh, in her late 20s. She's been through a lot. Hussam, I want to share with you the story of my best friend, Shema, is writing for him. His name is Sam. Sam is from Iraq. He descended from a good family there. Sam was born in the 80s. He has one sister. His father was gone when he was about 12. Sam's mother took care of him and his sister until Sam became a young adult when he joined the army. While serving the army, Sam survived a lot of deadly attacks and accidents where he lost his best friend and some family members as well. Knowing him for a long time, we had many conversations about what it is like to live in a war zone. It's worse than nightmares. One of the stories Sam had told me over and over is when he was driving with his best friend one of the army vehicles, and then all of a sudden there was an explosion. He said it was like a dream where you see all of your, all of your life running before your eyes, and then your best friend's head and intestines on your lap, and pieces of his dead body were all over the place. When the American army was in Iraq, Sam worked for them for a long time. Sam got kidnapped by the militia and he was tortured and almost killed. He told me that in 2003, Baghdad, the beautiful city, was destroyed completely. The buildings were burned down, the bridges were gone, and the dead bodies were laying there in the streets. He talks about it, and the tears run down his face, telling me that he used to walk over the dead bodies and see cats and dogs eating them. He said there, there it was so real he could smell the blood and the dead people just laying there. He told me about the times when he used to go looking for his friends that he knew were dead and he, and he goes to search for their corpses. He said there weren't enough spaces in the freezers and there was a room where the corpses were piled all the way to the ceiling. He had to dig through them. Many times he couldn't find the whole body of one of the soldiers. Sometimes he just found body parts and he would, he would just bury them. Sam continued, he would fill the coffin with cotton so when the family saw the dead body, they would believe the whole body was there. My friend Sam and his family had lost their homes that they owned. They lost all their belongings in the Civil War that happened after 2003. He said the U.S. soldiers that he helped and the officers used to change the way they would look, change the beard, change the hair, so not to be recognized because he was targeted because he was helping the American soldiers. 
Sam loves his country more than he loves anything else in the world. Whenever he sees pictures or reads something about it in the news, he cries and gets depressed. With all the struggle, he never planned to leave, but unfortunately his mother was diagnosed with breast cancer and he couldn't trust hospitals over there during the war. Not even hospitals are safe in a war zone. So Sam brought his mother and sister and came to the United States where he felt that he can save his mother's life. Even Sam, who served the American Army for over 10 years, suffered discrimination. He was treated like an alien and an invader. Sam didn't come to the United States to fight against America. Sam came to the country he served for 10 years to save his mother's life and make sure that both her and his sister were safe. Other veterans travel to a war zone, suffer all the consequences of war from injury to seeing things that flip their lives upside down, then eventually go home where they, be, they are honored and welcomed. But veterans from war zone countries, they suffer the same and lose their homes and countries. Yet when they are safe again, they are thousands of miles away from home. And sometimes they're not respected here. Their lives are a constant pain that can't heal. So they want a better life and they're thankful to be here. That's my friend Hussam. These, story, these stories are difficult to listen to and they're even more difficult to live through. These are real people, real lives. They just happen to be Muslim people. Many of them are scared, especially now with a lot being said about them in the news. Many Christians in churches are afraid too. I told them that. I said, so a lot of people are just afraid that all the Muslims are terrorists and, and the Muslim people that are here, they're just afraid that they won't be accepted. And so, I love what your pastor said. We're here to love. And I say, I say this all the time. We begin with love and we end with love. Amen? And so, here we are. You know, many Christians thought that of the Germans and the Japanese and the Jews during World War II. We, ha we just had that perception that they're, they're all just here trying to kill us. At Oasis, we're challenged every day to love and care for the people that the news and some in society say not to love. Don't care for them. Send them away. But we're blessed to get to know these people and hear their stories and cry with them and we get to love and serve them. People from all over the world. I want to tell you a story today out of the Bible. It's about refugees also. If you can turn to Luke chapter 10. Story about the Good Samaritan. Verse 25, beginning with verse 25, Luke 10. 
On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to the test to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took him, uh, took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And so, the lawyer is asking a question about inheriting eternal life. What must I do, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, if you inherit something, you don't have to do anything. You have to wait till somebody dies, right? Before you can inherit something. And so, you just have to be in relationship. It's not about doing, it's about being. Actually, to inherit something, someone has to die. You inherit the thing that the person who died owned. So, eternal life would be what God owns. And he wants us to have relationship with him. And he already sent his son Jesus to die to give you that gift. Amen? Amen? Jesus replied to the lawyer with a law answer. What, is you, what does the law say? How do you read it? It's about God and it's about people. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. 
verse 28, should have settled the issue. You already did it. You said you've already did it. But the lawyer wanted to make himself look good. And so he said, who's my neighbor? To justify himself. To justify meant to make yourself look more righteous. So, who's my neighbor? The neighbor, neighbor in the Greek is a word, plaseon, plaseon. It means a friend or any neighbor who would be your fellow man. Anybody. But, in the Old Testament, the Jewish conception of a neighbor was only a member of the Hebrew race. Only the, only the Hebrews, only you are my neighbor. But according to the teachings of Jesus, it's everybody. Amen? Still is. So Jesus told the story. Remember, all of this, all this whole story is connected to eternal life. It's to love, beginning with love with God, beginning with love with people, and ending with love. And so, I want to show you a picture of where that was. This road from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho is desolate. It's desolate. It is, there's no trees there. It's not working. Well, just take my word for it. It's really bad. You don't even want to see it. So they went down. They're coming down from Jerusalem. The priest and the Levite, they're coming down from Jerusalem. So to me, that kind of means they're coming. They've done their duty at the temple. And a lot of the, a lot of the people lived... The priests and the Levites, they lived in Jericho because it was an oasis. It was an oasis in the middle of this barren place. Palm trees. It was called the city of palms. I love palms. I love the beach. Anybody else love the beach? So a lot of the priests and Levites lived there. So they went there, but actually it was a long walk. It was... 3,000 feet difference in altitude. 3,000 feet, and it was, uh, Jericho was um, 800 feet below sea level. And so, on this desolate, scary, dangerous road, the man was beaten, he was robbed, and left for dead. He was actually on a place I had a picture of it. It's called the uh, Ascent of Blood. Up from Jericho, right about 1,500 feet, the Ascent of Blood is where that they, they say this happened. The priest and the Levite coming down from Jerusalem, it's about 15 miles but it's about a six to eight mile walk from Jerusalem to uh, Jericho. 
The Bible says that the priest and the Levite, they saw him with their eyes, but they didn't see him with their heart. And a lot of times I, I always thought, oh, these guys must be busy, they must be going to Jerusalem, but no, the Bible says they were coming from Jerusalem. So it wasn't like, hey, I've got to get to the temple, I don't have time. They were done with their work at the temple. They should have been, had a little more compassion, right? Coming from the temple, that's, we should have a little more compassion coming out of our churches on Sunday morning, right? Right? And so, what Jesus said about eternal life, to love with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, that comes first. Little history, the Jews hated Samaritans. So Jesus is pointing out, here's a Samaritan that y'all don't like. The Samaritan man, here's a little history. Israel was divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom called Israel established its capital first at Shechem, a revered site in Jewish history, and later at the hilltop city of Samaria. In 722 BC, Assyria conquered Israel and took most of its people into captivity. Second Kings 17:24, the Bible tells us that the invaders then brought in Gentile colonists from Babylon and four other countries to resettle the land. The foreigners brought with them their pagan idols, which the remaining Jews began to worship those idols alongside God of Israel. And they also intermarried. Meanwhile, the southern kingdom of Judah fell to Babylon in 600 B.C. Its people, too, were carried off into captivity, but 70 years later, a remnant of 43,000 was permitted to return and rebuild Jerusalem. The people who now inhabited the former northern kingdom, the Samaritans, vigorously opposed the repatriation and tried to undermine the attempt to reestablish the nation. They were trying to keep the people from coming back in. Does that sound familiar? For their part, the full-blooded monotheistic Jews detested the mixed marriages and worship of their northern cousins. So walls of bitterness were erected on both sides and did nothing but harden for the next 550 years. This is where Jesus is talking about the Samaritans. There's a lot of animosity toward the Samaritans. John 4, verse 9 says, The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. The Jews called Jesus a Samaritan and a demon. In John 8, 48, he says, Do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? 
Uh, that would be like a double insult cuss word toward Jesus. Jesus had many encounters with Samaritans. The ten lepers, you know the one that the one came back, he said, where are the other nine? They were Samaritans. All those lepers were Samaritans. The woman at the well, she was a Samaritan. Acts 1.8, it even says the Samaritans were a part of the Great Commission. Go into all the world. Go into Samaria. I think Jesus just wanted us to love everybody, don't you? He's trying to convince the Jewish people back at that time. And so the Samaritan was traveling. He came where the man was. And he did several things that we need to do. Number one, he saw them. He saw the person. And then the Bible says he had compassion or he had, he had pity on them. And then he went to them. Number three, he just went. You know, sometimes we see people, sometimes we hear their cry, but we don't go. And then he bandaged them. He poured oil and wine. The oil is for the Holy Spirit anointing. James 5.14 says, Is anyone sick among you? Call for the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the wine was for the forgiveness. Jesus, when, when he was going to uh, heal the paralytic, the first thing he said to him was, you're forgiven. The Jews didn't like that. But we're supposed to bring that forgiveness to people. People are hurting. People are wounded. Amen? But they need to be forgiven. I need to be forgiven, don't you? And so, then he put him on his donkey. And he took him to the inn. You know in Las Vegas where all the people were shot and killed there? There were over 500 people that were wounded. And most of the people, because they didn't have enough ambulances, most of the people got there because a stranger picked them up in their car and took them to the hospital. Over 500 people. He took him to the inn and he took care of him. And so he actually spent the night. He spent the night there. And then at uh, next morning, he gave the innkeeper two days wages. You know, have you ever been in the hospital and you're feeling sick and you can't hardly pray for yourself? I've been there. I know what that's like. And then when someone comes in, to visit, oh man, they don't even have to say anything. It's like, wow, you cared, you cared enough to come and visit me. Nothing like that. 
And so when you visit a refugee family, that's, that's what we do. We, we just come to bring comfort and care. And, and it's like you said, you can, you can come here and feel like you belong even before you believe. Man, I'm going to use that a thousand times, Pastor Kyle. Man, I think everybody wants to feel that. You know, well, I don't have my act together. I can't go to church yet. Well, I don't have the right clothes. I'm always saying whenever I preach it at a, a different church, I go, do I have to wear a tie? I never want to wear a tie again. But it's what makes you feel like you're welcome. Think of all these people that have had to flee in fear. We, we just, uh, one of our friends just died from Eritrea not too long ago. We found out she was, everybody in Eritrea has to go into the army, men and women. So she was in the army, and then she, they wouldn't let her out. <laughs> she was in the army, she, they, evidently they fought some battles. So when she died, we found out she still had bullets in her body. We didn't even know that. And so a lot of these people are going through some terrible things, and we want to be those people that will walk alongside them. So... Joni and I always say we're ambassadors for Jesus Christ and we're ambassadors for refugees to speak for them, to be a voice for them. That's why Hussam and, and Shema ask us to tell their story because, you know, it hurts to tell their story. And so what we have available at Oasis, we have the Good Neighbor Ministry and Pastor Kyle really wanted us to share a little bit about this because we want to connect you with refugee people. This is a great opportunity to fulfill the Great Commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel without going into all the world. You can stay here in St. Louis, you don't have to have a passport, you don't have to get shots, you don't have to get a, a uh, airline ticket or jet lag, you can go into our city and go uh, all over the world right there. And little bonus, they have the best food. They will feed you. I am always trying to lose weight, but they're feeding us all the time. So the important thing for us today is that we have our eyes open, that we have our hearts open, and that we have an opportunity to not just see it and hear it, but to go. Yeah. And so we have that opportunity. There are brochures on our table back there. I want to pray for us today. I want to pray that that heart, that God would put his heart of love, his heart of compassion in us today, that when we see people that are in need, yes, 
I already have a plan in my heart to love. I already have a plan in my life to give. I already have a plan in my life to walk alongside someone that needs somebody to help them along a new life path. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Give us eyes to see the lost and the hurting in our community. Give us the courage and the strength and the will to go to them and give them what they need. Give us the compassion to love and forgive and to be the neighbor you want us to be. Show me your plan of compassion to a hurting world wherever I go. In Jesus' name, amen.